Again, good morning um, to you, and uh, as we uh, get going with our, our study today, um, especially for the benefit of our guests, uh, there's a gold insert in your service folder that you may not have known about. Uh, if you could, take that out, and it might be a great guide for you as we study um, this last verse in 1 Timothy 6. We'll also be uh, in a few other places of Scripture this morning. And what we've been doing over the last three weeks, if, if you've been with us is, as was mentioned earlier, we've been just really walking one verse a week through three verses at the end of First, or towards the end of First Timothy. And these words were written by a pastor named Paul, as I said the last two weeks, to a specific group of people. In fact, I said the first week that if you don't fall into this group, you don't, you know, still come, but you don't need to necessarily listen or follow along with what Paul is saying here. So we spent most of the first week in just looking at who of us fall into this group. Uh, the first verse in this section goes this way. We looked at this the first week. Command those who are rich, Paul says. And in case you were wondering, is he talking about spiritual riches, like we all have salvation and grace and heaven? Paul continued, those who are rich in this present world, that is, people that have worldly wealth. And we just... The first week just stopped right here and, and thought about, so who is that? Who's he talking to? And the thing is that most of us don't ever feel like we're rich because our gauge is by comparing ourselves to how rich we are to other people. And we'll always find people that are richer. So we decided to look at the biblical definition. And the best biblical definition of rich is those who have more than what they need. And so if you have more than a pair of clothes, if you have two pair, you have more than you need. In a way, you're rich. If you have more food in your pantry and your refrigerator than you need for this day or this week, you are rich. You live, as the series says, in an overflow. And so we went home, I hope, that day just saying, you know what, honey, we're rich. And we're happy about it. And 99% of you here today, I would guess, estimate, are rich. You have more than you need. So then in week two, we kind of continued, and verse 17 here, um, sorry, Kurt, go back to verse 17, continues, and don't put, rich people, don't put your hope in your wealth, which is so uncertain, but put your hope, your security, find it in God, who richly provides us with what we have for our enjoyment. The, the interesting thing happens is that when you have more than you need, we naturally I'm not talking about for eternity, but for this life, we find our security for the future, earthly speaking, in the 401k and in the money that we have or haven't piled up. It's interesting, poor people don't do that, do they? They don't have anything to put their hope in, to their security in, as far as savings go. So they're forced every day to put their hope in God. Now, it's not wrong to save, but what Paul is saying is don't put your hope in that. Find your security for the future in the provider of everything. And then last week in verse 18 then, we found that it is so easy to have our hands like this with our stuff and that God tells us that what can help to find security in him is to open our hands. Verse 18, command them to do good, that is rich people, and also to be rich, that is better, more than average, 
to be rich in good deeds, in good things that you do, and then also to be generous and willing to share. Generosity is a key for people who have more than they need so that they find return to God and find their security in Him rather than in the stuff that they have. And so we talked about giving last week, and I brought along some uh, of the leftovers from my uh, refrigerator, and we just thought about this. If you'd invite someone over to your house, would you ever feed them leftovers? Hey, I'm not sure what we're having tonight, but I have some peas in the refrigerator We wouldn't do that, would we? Leftovers are for us. We give to our guests, not leftovers. And the point is, we don't have a leftovers kind of God, do we? And so it's so important, biblically, this isn't a Ben thing, this is a Bible thing, that the way that we are generous is by pre-deciding, by not waiting until we see what's left, i.e. the leftovers, and then what should we give back? But biblical giving is giving that is determined ahead of time. That's generous giving, generosity type of giving. And so this week, we're going to close then with verse 19. But before we get there, um, for anyone like me, excuse me, who grew up in the 90s, I don't know of any, not too many American males who grew up in the 90s who didn't at one time or another want to be like Michael Jordan, you know, want to be like Mike, right? And so I've noticed just about uh, a week ago or so that if that was your dream growing up, uh, middle-aged men, um, that uh, you can not only be like Mike, you can actually literally live like Mike if you want to. Because in November, Jordan's Chicago mansion is going up for auction. Here are some pictures of it. And uh, a couple things before you get too excited. Um, the, uh, the, the minimum price is going to be in the auction of about $20 million. So that might, you know, you know we're all rich, right? But I don't know if we're, we're that rich. And then the other thing is that just for a chance to uh, bid, you have to have a $250,000 um, deposit, which that, you know, take my house and then some, you know, would be my deposit, right? Um, but if, you, if those numbers don't scare you, you can have uh, a nice quaint, you know, little um, 19 bathroom, 9 bedroom, 56,000 square foot home near, near Lake Michigan in the Chicago area. And uh, if you read a little more details, uh, this uh, home that he's auctioning off um, has, as you can see, a full regulation-sized uh, basketball court. There is a swimming pool, uh, uh, a putting green. There are 15 heated garage stalls. There's a pond stocked with fish. Um, you'll be on the hook for stocking it once you buy it, but you can fish on your pond uh, without leaving the property. Um, how many of you know what a humidor is? Okay, I, I really didn't, but now I do. So a humidor is like a box that like makes your cigars stay at the right temperature. Uh, Jordan has a walk-in humidor. That is a room that's a humidor just for his cigar. So that will be yours too. And, and in many of the rooms, there are these glass trophy cases that um, unfortunately Jordan took his trophies with him. But here's what I was thinking. What to do with it? Some of you might have science fair ribbons from grade school. 
You don't know what to do with them? What a great place to put all of your science fair ribbons and participation medals from Little League and things all over the house, right? And as I was looking and reading and thinking, you know what, Jordan, while he lived there, had a wife, so that's two people, and then three kids, five people in 56,000 square feet. I was thinking, really? I know Jordan could afford it, but really? Even if you could afford it, Really? Which brings me to the biblical question for today. What is the main objective or goal for the money and material blessings that God has given you? What is it? Is there one? The main goal, the bigger picture? I mean, every two weeks, every week, you get a paycheck or a retirement check or maybe an allowance. What is the main objective or goal to the things that you have? How would you answer that question if, well, I guess it's not if, I am asking you. If you were asked that question, how would you answer it? Maybe, uh, maybe some of us would say that the main goal is to provide for my family and for our physical lives. And um, that's a great goal. In fact, the Bible says that if, if you don't take care of your family, um, you're worse than an unbeliever. It's important to take care of our families. Uh, maybe you would say that your main objective or goal is to make sure that you are saving some so that you can have a comfortable retirement and not be in need. And you know what? Saving is also biblical, to plan. It's a, it's a, good, a good goal. Um, Maybe your goal is to sort of get by on the, the, the necessities of life so that you have a little left over so that you can enjoy life and go on vacations or travel um, and do other fun things. And the, and the cool thing is, and we read this in verse, I think it was 18, 17 maybe of this series, that God has given us our things in part so that we can enjoy life for our enjoyment. So that's an okay goal too, but... None of those are the main goal. None of those, while they are goals, are not the main biblical objective for that which what we have. And I think understanding what the main goal, what the main objective is for what we have, makes a huge difference in how we feel about the things that we have and what we do with it. So that gets us back into verse 19, our final verse of this section. And so it starts out this way. It connects us to what came ahead of it. In this way, um, just coming off the heels of being generous, just came off the, the heels in verse 17 of, of, of how we are to use the things that we have. In the way that you use the things that you have, <laughs> they, that is rich people, who are rich people? I'm rich, you're rich. They will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Now, that's confusing. Essentially, what this says is that the way we use what we have and if we do it in a godly way, that it will allow us to have special treasures, special gifts in the coming age or in heaven. 
Now, for those of you like me who really have a firm understanding of salvation through Christ, this strikes you the wrong way, doesn't it? This sounds like uh, I, I, I get to heaven through the things that I do. So I got to back up a second and make things really clear for you. Heaven is a gift through the blood of God's son, Jesus. There's nothing we can do to have it. There's no way that we can earn it, not even a day of it, okay? It is a gift. That is one of the clearest truths in the entire Bible, that it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or what you're struggling with, through Jesus, heaven is yours. In fact, I love this beautiful verse from Ephesians 2. It is by grace, through God's love, that you're saved. Through faith. And this isn't from yourselves. It is a gift. Um, the definition of a gift is something that's given without the need for anything in return. Or it's not earned. And just in case you didn't get it by then, it's a gift of God. And he goes on to say, again, not by works, so that no one can boast. So, so clear. Heaven is a gift. The treasure of heaven is something that only comes through Jesus. But in numerous places, this is kind of going, you know, to the next level biblically. In numerous places in the Bible, God does allude to special treasure or special gifts that God gives to his faithful people when you get to heaven. Now, what those are, I have no idea. Like maybe it's a 56,000 square foot mansion with a walk-in humidor. I don't know. There's probably not smoking in heaven though. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the special treasures are. I'm not sure. But here's what I do know. I know that they're going to be a gift from God, just like heaven. We, we don't earn them. They're a gift and the other thing I know is that the, the reason why we live for the Lord, the reason why we follow Jesus with our lives is not in some way to earn these things because they can't be earned. In fact, what is, what is the one reason why we live for Christ? It's in response to what he has done for us. So don't go home thinking, you know, now I need to be extra good because I need some special treasures in heaven. It doesn't work that way. It's in response to Christ. So why did he give us these directives about these special treasures? I think I know. Here's, here's why. God wants you to know that the things you do with your life matter. God wants you to know that the way you live even though you're forgiven for all of your sins and when you mess up, you're forgiven through Christ, that he still cares about how you live your life. And in fact, if you go into this immediate context in verse 19, you know what else he cares about? God cares and is watching how we use the things that we have on earth. God cares and he watches how we use the worldly material blessings that he gives to us. Now, that can strike you as being just a little bit nosy, can't it? 
I mean, seriously, this is, you know, these are personal things. This is my checkbook. This is my savings account. I don't tell people what's in my checkbook or savings account. And that's where we have to go back to that psalm section to sort of lay again that foundation of the reality of what we have. In our our first lesson for today, we read this. The eyes of all look to you, God, and you, God, give them their food. You give them their car. You give them their house and then their next house and then their next house and then their cabin by the lake. You give them their clothes. You give them their vacation. You give them their savings. You, 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 you. That we are not the owners of anything that we have. That God owns it all. And if God owns it all, can you understand why he cares about how we use it if it's his? If God owns it all, then what does that make you and me if we're not the owner? Well, Jesus teaches about this at least five times, maybe more in the New Testament. He teaches about it over and over again of what our role is with the things that he gives to us. If we're not the owner, Jesus says that we are the steward. What does that mean? I don't know. The steward means that we are the manager. We're the caretaker of what God has given to us. God owns it all, okay? And then, kind of like an owner that comes to his servants, and he says, Joe, here's how much I want you to have, and here's how much I want you to have, Tim, and on and on and on. And he gives it and says, now, Joe, take care of that. Take care of that. And he decides what to give and who to give it to. And so as we consider the, the main goal, we ask ourselves the question, how much of what we have should we manage to the glory of God? You know what I think we often get into the habit of thinking? Is that what is God's is that part that we give back to church. And so we manage, you know, 5%, 10%, whatever it is, to God's glory. But can, can I dig down into that just for a moment? Is, is, that, is that true? That that's as much as we should manage for God or to his glory? Um, let's imagine that uh, we were going on a trip to the Mall of America with the Axis kids. And let's imagine that I needed some extra car space. So I asked you if I could borrow your, your minivan or your SUV. And because it was the pastor who asked, even if you really didn't want to, you felt obligated, so you let me use your minivan. You know, it's brand new, but you let me use it anyway. What percentage of your brand new minivan or SUV would you expect that I take care of? 50%, you know, as long as the front paint job looks nice, because that's what people see anyway, but the back, you know, scratches, dents, bumper hanging off, not a big deal. You took care of 50%. I gave you 100%. You took care of 50 That's okay. 
how about 10%? You know, just as long, Ben, as you have that driver's seat area looking nice. And the rest, you know, they are, you know, middle school age kids. You know, there's going to be garbage and everything and marks on the, the upholstery and all that. Not a big deal. Just take care of 10%. If you entrusted to me your brand new minivan or SUV, what percentage of it would you want me to take care of to your glory, so to speak? 100% of it, right. So often, we think of, of our offering to God as like a, a bill that we write out, right? It's kind of a bill, and then we, we give it off, and then, okay, now the rest of it is for me to do with what I want. It's not true. All of it is God's. He entrusts all of it to you, and you and I have the responsibility then to manage all of it according and to his glory. And so let's go back to the main question for today, and then I'm going to sort of parse this out a little bit more. What's the main goal or objective for the paycheck that you receive every two weeks or every week or whatever it is. What's the main objective or goal for everything that you have? To be manage it, to take care of it, to the glory of God. To use what we have to the glory of God. And in fact, Paul in a different section of the New Testament, he kind of says the very same thing here in, in 1 Corinthians, in a little bit of a different way. He says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So what does this mean then? I said I was going to parse this out. What does it mean to use all that you have to the glory of God? You know what it means? It means sell everything you have and give all the money to the church. That's not what it means. In fact, we don't have enough space here for all of you, so please don't do that. And you're homeless and need to be fed, you know. You know what, why that would, or when that would be true? That giving, or, or I'm sorry, using it to God's glory is giving it all to him in an offering? That would be true if the only thing God directed us to do with what he's given is to give it back to him. But when you read through the Bible, you see that's not the only thing that he says to do with what he's given. Yes, that's the first thing we should do. But he also tells us, as I said earlier, to take care of your family. He also says that we should give to Caesar what is Caesar's. That is, to be responsible in paying your taxes. He also says that we should think about the future, put our trust in God, but also to plan and use the brain that we've been given to save for the future, to be responsible in that way. He also says that we can use what we have, some of it, for our enjoyment. So it's more than just give to the glory of God. There's all these ways that we can manage what we have to use to his glory. So I know that what you're looking for is like a specific, here's what you need to do, and that, that we just love black and white. But the problem is, I know what God has given me and how we use it. I don't know what God has given you and how you use it. So the reality is, I don't know what you need to do to use what you have to the glory of God. 
I know where you need to start. It's with Christ and the love of Christ for you. And then after that, I know what you need to do next. And it's very, very practical, but it's very biblical and very true. If you're not good at this, being a steward means that you need to do a better job of knowing where your money is going. Or I should say where God's money is going. I want you to think about this for a moment. Let's say you decided to uh, have a financial planner use some of the things that you have and, and to uh, uh, help you invest. And let's say that you gave him a good, you know, a chunk of, of your, your savings, and then you went back a month later and you asked him. So I was just kind of checking in to see what you've done, you know, with what I, I gave you. And how would you feel if that steward, that manager said, I don't, I'm not sure what I did with it. I know it was here, and, and I know it's not here anymore. Um, I think we used some of it here, and I think some of it went over there in, in that mutual fund, but I'm just, I'm really not sure. You know what you would do? You would get a new financial advisor, because that is not how you expect someone to manage what you have. <sighs> I know we're not all equally gifted at this, but if we don't know how we're spending what God has given us, we're not managing it very well. And so the first thing some of us need to do is to just have a better understanding and control of how we're using that which God has given us. That's what managers do. That's what stewards do. And then after that, once you do that, guess what? The picture becomes clearer and how you can better give God glory. After you do that for a while, and I hope you do it for the rest of your life, what you'll see, some things will come clear. And some of you are going to see from that that I need to give more. That I look at how I use what I have and way too much percentage-wise goes to me and my family. And I am, I'm not very generous. And to give glory to God, I need to give more whether it be to people in need or, or an offering or whatever it might be. Others of you, you're going to look at that and you're going to see, you know what, we're not doing a good job of saving, and I know we can't save much, but we need to save some. We're living on too much of what God has given us, and we need to save. That is giving glory to God, to save. Others of you are going to find that you need to spend less because your lifestyle has outgrown what God has given, and debt is not God-pleasing. For others of you, you're going to see that you need to spend less, but it's not because you're in debt. You can afford what you're buying, but much like Michael Jordan in 56,000 square feet, it's not a matter of whether you can afford it or not. It's the question, really? We really need that. Because some of us can afford it, but it's a waste we're wasting things that could be used for God's glory. Does this make sense to you? I'm not saying I don't know what you need to do, but what I do know is your main objective and goal is the same as mine, to give glory to God, the owner, with the things that he has given. This uh, past week in our uh, growth group, we had a discussion on um, how hard it is to be content and um, 
how easy it is to be discontented with what we have. And as, I, as we talked, I found that we had a lot more discussion around the problem with contentment than we had on solutions for it. In fact, um, I think the only solution that, that I might have offered um, was that we should just spend more time in our homes and turn off the internet and the TV and just not ever leave your house because then you don't know what other people have and you can be more content, right? Biblical contentment begins with an understanding of what Christ has given to us for eternity. But along with that, I think understanding today's truth that we're not the owner, but we are just the manager or the caretaker. I think today's truth can help us to understand that our main objective is, is not to, to accumulate, but instead to simply ask the question, am I faithfully taking care of that which God has entrusted to his glory and to his praise? And when we do that, what happens is gratitude happens, and I think sometimes with God's help, contentment happens better too. I'm simply here to take care of that which God has entrusted, and I trust him to know what that is. And so as uh, we go from here, I, I pray, understanding our riches both for eternity, but also especially for this life. I pray uh, for you and for God's blessing on all of us as we not only rejoice in our riches, but live like rich people according to God's direction. Let's pray.